welcome to the Grow My Salon Business podcast, where we focus on the business side of hairdressing. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and I'll be talking to thought leaders in the hairdressing industry, discussing insightful, provocative, and inspiring ideas that matter. So get ready to learn, get ready to be challenged, get ready to be inspired, and most importantly, get ready to grow your salon business. The hairdressing industry on the surface is a very simple business model. And I think that because of that, that many budding entrepreneurs see it as an opportunity to scale it through a franchise model. Now, I've seen many people try and most of them do not succeed. But my guest today has built a business spread over three countries with an excess of 200 salons and over 3,500 staff and he continues to expand. The salon group is called Just Cuts, and it's based in Australia, but it also has salons in New Zealand, and now more recently, the United Kingdom. Now, the founder of the business is someone I've known for over 30 years, and I always find talking to him refreshingly inspiring and uplifting. So in today's podcast, we will discuss the story behind the Just Cuts brand, the important steps in building a franchise for both the franchisee and the franchisor, what are some of the challenges involved in expansion on that scale? And how do you find and keep good people? And that's just to start with. So without further ado, let's jump straight in and talk to our guest today, Mr. Dennis McFadden, founder of the Just Cuts Salon Franchise Group. Welcome to the show, Dennis. Good day, Anthony. Thank you for inviting me along. It's a real pleasure, Dennis. I'm really looking forward to uh, uh, having this opportunity to, you know, share your background and a story of Just Cuts with uh, with our audience because, you know, I've, um, you know, known you for quite a while now and I know the story of the brand and I find it fascinating. So before we dig into it, Dennis, uh, a lot of our listeners are UK and American, so they wouldn't have heard of the Just Cuts brand. So start by telling us about your beginnings in the industry and the story of how Just Cuts came about. <laughs> Uh, just Cuts was certainly not a grand plan or a plan. It just sort of grew out of itself. I started hairdressing when I was 16. Um, I went to eight schools. I was uh, diagnosed uh, dyslexic. Dyslex dyslexic, there you go. There you uh, go. Um, and, um, and so hairdressing was suggested uh, because I wasn't that academic. In fact, my school life was absolutely uh, torturous. And when I uh, went into hairdressing, it was absolutely wonderful. Uh, and I'm absolutely blessed um, that it was recommended that I do it. And I did a four-year apprenticeship here uh, in Australia. And then the day I finished my apprenticeship, I went to London. Um, and I was going to be there for six months. And, and that was sort of the centre of hairdressing uh, in those early days, and I did the Vidal Sassoon course and um, and various courses, but I ended up staying 10 years in London and made lots of lovely friends. In fact, I started my first business there um, when I was uh, 21. Wow. And, um, and it was sort of called, uh, you know, Dennis and Tony, I had a partner. And then I married an English girl who had two girls, and we subsequently had two boys, so it worked very well. But we did return uh, to Australia, 
And with the help of my father, thank, uh, thank my dad for being my bank in those early days, um, he financed, financed me into um, uh, my first business. And uh, away we went. But the thing that started Just Cuts for me was a promotion that was done by the uh, local town or village that wanted to advance the town, and it was called Hurstville Advances Australia Week. And in the beginning of that promotion, it was only going to be for a week, we put on the front of our window in butcher's paint, and that's a paint that you can easily scrape off your window. If you're getting clipped during Hurstville Advance Australia Week and you're paying more than $6, and this is, by the way, in 1983, um, you're getting clipped. And in the week of that promotion, we had people that just came in just for a haircut. Now, I'd seen some of these people before who had come in and said, I just want to have a dry haircut. And we'd say, I'm sorry, we're artists. We need to shampoo your hair. <laughs> we need to blow dry your hair. Um, uh, and we'd sort of look down at them a little bit because at that time there was just the full service salon and there was the barber shop. And what we discovered was there was this market in the middle of people whose hair just grew half an inch a month and they just wanted to have a haircut without an appointment. They actually wanted to go home and probably wash their hair and blow dry their hair. And in the week of the promotion, we had an extra 100 clients come into our full service salon. Now, I don't know what you would think, but an extra 100 clients a week into any business, hairdressing business, uh, it was pretty good. We had three months left on the lease, and I was uh, going to transfer my business, what I thought was my core business, uh, up the road to a brand new uh, shopping centre. It had a mezzanine floor. It had white marble uh, on the floor. It had uh, flock uh, wallpaper. I had the chandeliers. Can you see it, Anthony? It was just beautiful. And, uh, and I moved my core business up the road. And with the three months that I had left on the old lease, I put just cuts $7. And I just left the business there with three hairdressers. And I took uh, all the team up to our brand new hairdressing salon. In that uh, three months as I was running out the lease, uh, we discovered that there was a real need for people that just wanted a haircut. And of course, what was happening was um, we were building scripts and we were building ways of running the business without me being there. So without really knowing it, I was actually building a franchise prototype. And it was interesting. I was in actually introduced much later to a book by Michael Gerber, The E-Myth, and he talked about um, the entrepreneur suffering from, or the technician suffering from an entrepreneurial seizure. But without knowing it, I was actually setting up systems and scripts that allowed me not to be there. At the end of that three months, I realized that um, there was a business opportunity. And then I subsequently uh, leased the premises uh, for an additional uh, uh, three plus three. But I carried on with my uh, existing full service salon. I ended up getting um, four of the just cuts going. And in 1990, one of our stylists approached me and said, Dennis, I'm leaving. Um, I want to start my own business. And I went, oh, dear, here's another hairdresser that I've trained up in my systems, and uh, they're going to go and open up in the same street as me or the same high street, 
Uh, and she said, no, Dennis, I want to copy what you're doing. And that's when I was really introduced to what franchising was about. And um, I said, look, you go ahead and do that. It'd look great to, to have another uh, just cut sign above uh, a shop. And she said, no, Dennis, um, uh, I want, uh, my father wants to meet with you. She, by the way, she was uh, 20 at the time. My father wants to meet with you. He was a very successful uh, developer. I went to meet with him. I sat uh, across his big desk and he asked me for a franchise agreement. Uh, and of course, I said, look, um, I'll, I'd certainly get that to you. Uh, he asked to see the manual uh, of how we ran the Just Cuts. And I said, of course, um, I'll, I'll get that to you. If he'd asked me for a corporate, uh, if, if he'd asked me for a corporate guideline, I wouldn't have known what he was talking about. But of course, I would have said, I'll get that to you. Yeah. I left that meeting and I rang the Australian Law Society and said, who writes franchise agreements? And um, they told me a couple of names and I went and got a franchise agreement and, of course, uh, then presented to Leanne. And by the way, Anthony, I'm very proud to say that, that Leanne is still a franchisee of Just Guts 30 years later. So she had the, now, the very first one and she's still got it today. Yes, she has. Yeah. In fact, she bought the building. She bought the building wow. that we have the Just Cuts in. Yeah. Now, the, but we were in a shopping centre at that time. And because of bad weather, the, the development was delayed. And the day we opened, Leanne had a baby and was not able to be at her salon. But we then realized that the systems held it together. The systems, the scripts, the way we greeted the client, the way we departed the client, the way we did the cashing up, um, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, so held you the business spent a lot of... You'd spent a lot of time writing all that stuff down, like turning it into written systems, manual, etc. Manuals. We've got manuals. They're huge. But luckily, we've got uh, some smart people that can now put that on one page yeah. and uh, present, present it to our team members. And so away we went. And that was our very first franchisee. Uh, my bank manager ended up uh, getting three. I had family members in those early days that... Uh, uh, we granted a franchise. Of course, in those early days, um, we were sort of sponsoring people into the business uh, as far as upfront fees. The other thing that, in, and this might interest uh, some of your listeners in the franchising, was that in those days, it was a percentage that was taken of the business. And it might be a 6% or a 9% or it possibly could be 10% and that could be broken down as 7% as a franchise fee and 3% as an advertising fee. And I spoke to a number of franchisors who were charging a percentage fee and the relationship that they had with their franchisee was not very good. Um, in those days, there wasn't a point of sale. There was certainly lots of cash, whereas today there's a lot more credit cards um, and there's not that opportunity for uh, corruption or skimming. And um, we thought there had to be a better way than the percentage. And we came up with the fee would be 12 haircuts a week. Now, in those early days, a haircut was $11. Australian. Yeah. Uh, today, our haircut is 33, and we collect 12 
times 33 from each of our franchisee. Whether the franchisee does, uh, you know, 600,000 a year or a, a million plus a year, it is still 12 haircuts a week. In New Zealand, it's 14. In UK, where we've just opened uh, and we, we opened there about two years ago, it is a percentage because the point of sale is much more sophisticated now. It's so much cheaper to set all that up initially. And of course, in UK, our turnovers, we believe, could be, you know, 500 to a million uh, 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 sterling. So yeah. it's a slightly different number uh, than Australia. But it's, it's worked very well with us. Our relationship with franchisees is very good. By the way, we also collect five haircuts a week for an advertising promotion. For, for, and, and we look after national promotions. So the fixed fee, I think, has helped us, um, uh, has been um, a, a good palatable way to do it in the beginning. But now as we get more sophisticated with uh, technology, uh, we can go to uh, uh, more you know, point of sale and, and better ways of doing it. Yeah, I think so that's, that's really we, interesting, the, the, yep. you know, the number of haircuts. That, you know, you, you, so, so you said in Australia it's 12 haircuts a week. So as the price of the haircuts go up, the, the revenue yes. that they pay head office increases. And it's the same whether they've got a small just cuts or whether they've got a bigger just cuts, whether they're running it well and successful or, or you know, whether they've just started out. I think it's a, a very yeah. uh, clever way of doing it. Um, and, and sorry, Anthony, and our business, our core business is, is the style cut. Um, so we're not doing any, we don't do any colouring on any perming, I'm not sure if any perming's being done, but um, uh, it is just the haircut, and and we have the haircut price on the front of our shop fronts. So we're very much about this is the price. We don't discriminate between men and women. Uh, it is the same price for both. We do um, discount for children, and um, we we do look after our seniors as well. Yeah. Okay, so uh, t t tell me about that decision not to do any chemical services. Like, you know, so some people would listen to this and go, well, you know, if you've got 200 plus salons and, and how many thousand clients a week do you have coming through the doors? It's, it's, I think it's about 110,000 at the right. moment. I mean, some people would look at that and go, well, there's an opportunity to, to 110,000 people. You've already got them coming in for a haircut. Why wouldn't you do colour? So, so what is your, you know, what, what's your argument about that? Why wouldn't you do colour? Well, uh, I'm happy to leave that to the other 95% of the hairdressers okay. <laughs> in, in my market. So, I, I I just it was by chance that we discovered that people, as I said before, it was the barber shop and the full service salon. Yeah. And by the way, in Australia today, there are many salons are doing what we did, uh, what we're doing, and of course mm. in America, um, you've you've got the supercuts and uh, uh, and and the like who just do do the haircut and don't do the colour. So it's very simple. It's also been good for me for recruitment. Um, uh, there are hairdressers that just want to finish uh, on time. Uh, they want to have a lunch break, and uh, and they just love cutting. Uh, so recruitment's been very good. 
Um, it's a simple business for our owners. Most of our owners are not hairdressers, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're investors, and that's why we've got a lot of multi-store owners. It does suit multi-store owners to have uh, a simple business. Um, and, uh, and in those early days when I had my full-service salon, all those years ago, I actually had a tinter and a perma. Uh, in my salon. And yeah. I think if I was to do a full service salon today, I would have people who love just colouring in my salon. So coming back to your question, uh, I think I just wanted easy, uh, an easy life and, uh, and, and, I, and identified a need just for that service. And we thought we could do a good job of it. And of course, the other thing is the size of the salon. Um, we're looking at um, our average size across those salons that you mentioned would probably be about uh, uh, 800 square feet or 55 square metres. Um, that's something to consider as well. And, of course, yeah. shop fit, the cost of a shop fit. Did, did, you, did you ever uh, try doing colour in them? I, yeah, I, I mean, I know the I answer did. to that story. So just tell me about that a little bit. We partnered with a colour company um, um, for one year uh, to do colour in salon, and yeah. we did have the colour permits. And and basically, the the challenge was the no appointment um, aspect of our business. We don't take appointments. In fact, um, you can't request an individual hairdresser. Uh, the loyalty is with the brand the name. It is not with necessarily the hairdresser. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm. Uh, but my, my experience in those early days when I started, I was training my competition and that was fine. And I'm sure I'm still doing that. But um, we wanted the loyalty to be with the name. And, and it was to, to, to be able to walk in, have your hair cut and leave within uh, 25 to 30 minutes. Now, with the colouring, that really mucked up that timing. A stylist, a, head, a client could be in there for, you know, two or three hours with foils, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, also, physically and, and uh, shop fit wise, uh, we needed more hair basins. Um, we might need assistance or what we call juniors in Australia. Um, and so the, the ratio of uh, the, the productivity of the stylist changed. And we did trial it for one year, and I can say when some of my franchisees asked me that question, uh, Anthony, I can say, I'm sorry, we tried it, we trialled it, and our goal uh, for this market is 5% of the population, as it is in New Zealand, and we haven't worked it out what it will be in UK, and if we can just look after these people and make them happy, um, then I'll be happy with that. Okay. What, what percentage of the clients are, are, are men? 50-50. Okay. It's 50-50. Yeah. And, um, and it's interesting uh, what's happening uh, certainly in Australia and New Zealand at the moment is that the resurgence of the barbershop. Yeah. Very, uh, very great shop fits, great um, uh, young hairdressers doing fabulous work. And our owners have been uh, concerned about that. Uh, with the look of our salons, it's uh, it's a bit sort of uh, it's not too um, what should I say not too dark or manly. They're sort of in between, and our owners have been concerned, but it hasn't shown up in the data that we collect. 
And I think that those men that are going to those barber shops uh, that are that are that um, that are happening here are, cl- are men that are coming from the fifty or sixty dollar uh, hairdressing salon, uh, uh, the hair where where it was what was called the unisex salon, where they were paying big money anyway, and now they're going to the barber shop. But it has not affected us. I believe it could going forward um, as they they're beginning to open in in shopping centres. And they've come to terms with paying the big rents, uh, but at the moment, uh, Anthony, it's uh, it hasn't changed. Okay, so 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 the business model is um, that they don't. You only have people that cut hair. Uh, do do you have assistants, apprentices? No. Okay. No. The only assistant or apprentice we might have would be a receptionist, and, and they can be a junior receptionist. Yeah. Um, and, and we'd only really have them on uh, possibly weekends. Yeah. Some salons, the bigger salons, would have them all week. And in some cases on weekends, there would be two uh, to process it. Uh, but having said that, we've just introduced uh, what we call the, uh, uh, the Just Cuts kiosk, where clients are coming up to uh, the iPad and, and checking themselves in. And, okay. uh, and that's certainly not a trial anymore. That's probably in about... Uh, uh, Thirty or forty percent of the salons, and um, and that frees up our stylists if there is no receptionist, uh, not to have to go to the desk. So the client comes up to the iPad, and um, and puts their name in. It also asks them would they like a, a relaxing shampoo or a blow dry, and it's interesting that that um, piece of technology has actually increased the average docket. Okay, so uh, let me just go back to that for a minute because yes. I think a lot of people would have been under the uh, perception that you you just cut hair, you didn't get a shampoo or a blow dry. So um, you you have that option to get your hair shampooed, haircut, and a blow dry. Yeah, yeah. We, we say, have you been to Just Cuts before? Yes or no? Um, and then we say, would you like a relaxing shampoo with your with your style cut today? Yeah. Uh, does it always get asked? I'm not sure, but um, there are a lot of people that actually would like a relaxing shampoo. Exactly. And so you're and, saying the technology, and the, the technology in the iPad, which is asking them, has increased the average docket because a lot of people are saying yes, that, that, that weren't being asked before, before the iPad, so to speak. Yeah? Correct. Correct. And in fact, um, what's happening is that um, we will have to look at changing the layout of our salons and increase the number of uh, shampoo basins because of that. Oh, interesting. Uh, okay. Yes. So, so um, h- how does that impact on the price? I think you said it was thirty-three dollars for a haircut before. Is is okay. that does that include a a shampoo and a and a blow dry, or is that just for no, a haircut or what? No, no, that would be an additional uh, six dollars. Right. Or in some cases, they're charging seven dollars. Right. So, and, so and, 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 a, and a blow dry, and plus a blow dry, and the blow yeah. dry would depend on how. Um, how how long it would take. In fact, we're not that competitive with blow dries um, in that if we're going to be there doing a blow dry for an hour, um, we're going to be more expensive than, uh, you know, some of the full service salons. Okay. Because okay, so- really, do we want to do that? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, of course, we're, we're happy to look after our clients, but uh, uh, we are trying to say our speciality is style cuts, yeah. and we can, you know, just dry it off with our fingers, 
and let you leave for the 33 or if we we put a brush to your hair that is an additional uh, additional cost right okay and so so what percentage of people would um you know have a shampoo and a blow dry wow that that varies okay. for instance in U- in uk um it's very high yeah uh, it's more than 50% but in australia possibly to do with the weather anthony uh, you know it's probably 10% right. new zealand's probably the same yeah yeah okay all right so how do you um how do you train just your to, staff? Just, sorry, Anthony. Yeah, sorry. Just to yeah. come back to that question, um, we actually say to a client, you know, uh, have you shampooed your hair in the last twenty-four hours? Okay. <laughs> and, um, and 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 most clients. Uh, and by the way, that um, piece of scripting has not really changed uh, since we started Just Cuts. Yeah. And but today, people say most people say yes because they do shampoo their hair uh, pretty much every day. Yeah, but in those early days, it was a real challenge. Uh, we didn't want to cut dirty hair. Yeah, we only wanted to cut clean hair, and um, so we were giving away a lot of complimentary shampoos in the early days. Yeah, uh, but today um, the client will come in and, and just say uh, uh, yes, yes. In fact, ninety uh, percent of our clients are, are regular clients. We measure that, by the way. We that's one of our data's data uh, that we measure um, uh, and. Our average salon uh, new clients uh, per week uh, would be uh, seven to ten percent. Right. Okay. And, it, and if that drops down, we can then um, uh, look at doing local area marketing uh, to lift that uh, new client percentage up. Yeah. Because of course, clients are, are moving on. They're moving uh, geographically, or they might be moving and have more money to spend uh, pampering. Uh, so we lose clients that way as well. But so we're always thinking about getting new clients. Sure. Um, how many clients would you would you do as a stylist? Like, I mean, do you do, you do one an hour? Do you do two an hour? Three an hour? Four an hour? What's the you know what's the sort of benchmark on that that you aim for with a, a productive hairdresser? Well, it was interesting in those early days. Um, when we came into the market, uh, the gossip out there was that uh, that just cuts. They just have juniors, uh, hairdressers, uh, untrained, and uh, they do three to four haircuts an hour. Well, we have dispelled that uh, now. We only um, uh, recruit uh, uh, senior hairdressers. Yeah, and it and and the, and the time it takes to haircut, it is whatever time it takes. But to answer your question, uh, it's possibly 2.5 or 2.7 um, uh, per hour. Right. Um, um, we're, we're sort of cutting the hair uh, for the client's ego, not our ego. So um, uh, obviously men uh, in certain areas, for instance, in a CBD area, we get a lot of, um, a, a lot of what we call suits, a lot of people uh, CBD uh, working yeah, uh, working in office, yeah. but in some areas that we call nappy valleys, uh, where there's a lot of new homes, we get lots of children. Yeah. So our average docket uh, can change, and of course, the time it takes uh, to do a haircut can change in those areas. Uh, so we're across all sort of demographics. Uh, so it's a, it's a it's but to imagine, I'd say let, let's work on two point seven would be to make a profitable business. Yeah. And of course, that's something we consider when we look at a new site. Yeah. The only thing we ever know 
is what the rent will be, what the rent will be. So uh, then we have to work out how many clients uh, we'll be able to do to pay that rent, to pay the wages, and 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 to uh, pay the outgoings. Yeah. So that question comes up: How many clients can we do in the time that that salon uh, is open? What percentage of people do we need walking into that shopping centre? What percentage of the population in our demographic do we need to be doing business with us? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so very important. Yeah. Um, I mentioned at the beginning you had over 200 salons and, and three and a half thousand staff. I mean, are those figures, I mean, how many salons are there? Um, we have 231. Two, right. We opened one yesterday in, yeah. uh, uh, in UK, but uh, no, we've only got 199 in Australia. Yeah. Uh, we've got 27 in NZ and we've got five in UK. And we have one in, in India where we, we trialled it uh, some years ago and, and, and actually didn't have a good experience, actually. Uh, but that might be for another day. Um, uh, so we're always you still have one in India, do you? Well, we could have. We're not sure. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and it's interesting that, um, again, talking about franchising, that the usual way you do that is to have a master franchise in a territory. Now, in UK, uh, sorry, in uh, India, we had a master franchisee. That is to say, it was like myself as a franchisee running running that country. Yeah. And, it, and it really, it didn't, it didn't work for, her, for us. Uh, in, in New Zealand, uh, we had a master franchisee. And in fact, we've just purchased that business back. And, and, and we're running it from uh, Australia. Um, and with technology, and I, I believe we're in the tech business, and it just happens to be here that we're doing, because we're embracing technology with our training, uh, with our various apps, our clients are booking in. Our clients are being rewarded with the app. Uh, we've got incentives with our app. Mm. But we can run um, New Zealand uh, from Australia without having a master franchisee uh, to do that. Right. Of course, in other countries, um, we would probably look at a master franchise relationship and let them um, and, and let them understand what was required in that particular country. Sure. You just mentioned training. Uh, I, I asked yes. you before and um, we got sidetracked. How do, you, how do you train the staff? Okay. Well, they're all senior hairdressers. Um, yeah. But we have, uh, we have a thing called Just Online. Uh, we've just uh, embraced a thing called Velpic, which is online stylist training, uh, where they can go on and uh, look at hairstyles and go through the, uh, uh, go through the technique uh, of the of the haircut uh, and the blow dry and the finishing off, um, we have a digital magazine that goes out uh, every every uh, week. Uh, we have our Facebook for owners. We have our Facebook for uh, our stylists. Um, of course, when they join us, uh, they're recruited and welcomed into uh, Just Cuts. So, as I say, senior hairdressers to start with. Uh, they do three or four haircuts um, to see if they're capable of doing it, and away they go. And of course, when you're just doing haircuts every day, you do actually get um, you get quite quite good at uh, uh, interpreting what the client wants, and that's what we're about. As I said before, uh, we're after uh, pleasing the client 
not uh, not necessarily uh, our, our stylists. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so you, you mentioned before that uh, a lot of the owners, so 231-odd salons, that a lot of the owners are, um, own multiple stores, yeah? Um, yes. And you said that most of them aren't hairdressers. Uh, so, so are they actively involved in running the business on a daily basis or do, do most of the franchisees sort of, you know, see it as an investment and put someone in there as a manager and they're sort of, you know, run it at arm's length? Um, good question. We, we've got a, a range of uh, owners. Um, we have husbands and wives, and invariably the wife is very good at the uh, HR and the, the husband sits at home with spreadsheets and uh, etc. We have some owners that, that get in there, roll their sleeves up, sweep the floor, uh, fill up water bottles, and we have some owners that are very remote who appoint managers who report uh, to an operational person, and that operational person reports to the owner. Now, depending on the owner, those managers or operational people uh, can have various um, degrees of uh, authority. For instance, some of them are doing the recruitment, um, certainly doing uh, uh, the banking and uh, can do local area marketing. So it does depend. So we've got a real um, mixture of owners from uh, mums, um, single mums with, uh, you know, four children who wanted to have a business where they could spend time uh, at the school um, and they needed a business where they could do that. Uh, right down to some uh, of our uh, single guys that just want to play golf all day long. So, um, but those owners that follow the system, look at local area marketing, um, are good with people. Um, can do rostering, etc. Um, have more successful businesses. The system holds the business together, but it can be really worked much better sometimes. I'm not sure if you understand what I'm getting at here, Anthony. But um, uh, some owners are more um, are more uh, dedicated <laughs> to the yeah. business. Yeah, more- we've had some own. Some owners who um, the business is very successful, and they sort of take the foot off the off the pedal, if that makes sense. Yeah, and it's sort of on remote. Uh, but if they've got a good team around them, um, it works very well. But yeah. we encourage our owners to be very involved in those early days. You know, to really understand the business, and uh, yeah, so it's a real mixture. Yeah. Okay. Um, are they all franchised or are some of them company-owned stores? We, we have one company-owned stores at the moment. With um, the landlords, um, with some of the landlords, um, they need us to be on the head lease. And so we can um, be doing a deal and say that, it, look, it's subject to franchisee and they will say, no, uh, there's an opportunity here. If you want it, you've got to take it. So we will, uh, at some stages, have uh, can have four or five uh, company-owned stores, but we are in the business of franchising. Um, we're not really equipped at the academy uh, to run salons, interesting yeah. enough. And of course, if we ever want to trial anything, there is always a number of franchise owners that are always very happy uh, to trial uh, different things. So it's not necessary 
for us to have a what 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 is called a company owned store. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. If 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 the franchise. These are, are not hairdressers, and as you say, they're not. Uh, how do you train them? What, what, what sort of support do they get to you know, enable them to, to, to run a salon? I mean, I, I know like McDonald's have this thing called McDonald's University, and you've, you know, you've got to go there for a year or something, and you've got to actively work in the store. How do you get around that in, in Just Cuts? Okay, with, uh, with, a, with a new chum joining us, not a hairdresser, we get involved in the initial opening of the salon. And part of that is recruiting a team of hairdressers. And we train them in the systems. Of course, we get them to do haircuts. So we're assuming that they um, are, uh, are trained hairdressers. What they don't know is how the, the, the business works. We recruit yeah. the hairdressers, we check the haircuts, we, we do all that side of it for the non-hairdresser owner. Right, yeah. Then over the next three months, we then identify who can be a team leader in that salon, and then we empower them to recruit and to check the haircut. Of course, we want the owner uh, to, to, uh, uh, to look at that person walking in the door uh, for a job, whether, they, you know, as soon as someone walks in the door, you know whether you like them or not. But what you don't yeah. know is whether they can cut hair. And sure. of course, the, the, and then the owner empowers the team leader or any of the other team to check the haircut. So that's never, ever been a problem. Uh, you, you'd think it would be, but it's, it's, it's not. It is a matter of really creating a team uh, up front and the owner sort of delegating out work. And most of our owners, we, we did a survey recently, and they only, they're only in the business about 20 hours a week. Right. Of course, when they've got, uh, you know, 12 salons and some have got seven and some have got six, and uh, mm. uh, then they're, they're kept a little bit busy. But as I said, with technology and with our apps that we've got, they can go in at any time of the day and check on how the business is going. Yeah. Uh, they can see how many in the wait. Uh, how many waiting, uh, how many have possibly walked away because we couldn't fulfill them straight away. Uh, so this is uh, this has really changed our model. Right. Uh, so so tell, me, to, to tell me about that. What, what are the apps that you're referring to? Are they something bespoke that you've had made for you that are for the we client have. or for the owner or for the staff member? Well, well, we've got them for the owner, and they can be sitting in uh, – uh, in Hawaii, uh, <laughs> looking at their businesses, um, and they can um, uh, uh, and see what time uh, we open, how many stylists are on, the name of the stylist, the name of the client, uh, how long it how long it took. Uh, they can also uh, look at the uh, average spend. Uh, the the number of uh, metrics there um, are too many, actually. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, if you want to delve in, into that. So that's that. Uh, for stylists, we have um, uh, a, a justice professional app where they're rewarded when they are able to um, uh, uh, empower a client. And, and we use empower. We don't say selling. Uh, we, we want our clients to be um, recommending products, not necessarily a selling product. So we yeah. reward those stylists uh, with points, um, and that's on, on, ongoing. Our clients can uh, uh, be in their office or at home, and they can actually put their name in a queue, and that's a separate app 
um, and they can put their name in the queue, uh, and and so um, and they can do that up to an hour before, uh, and that's not to do with the kiosk. That's a yeah. separate piece of equipment. Um, so we uh, and of course uh, the online training uh, for haircuts. Our owners can also go on and look at marketing collateral, uh, local store marketing collateral. The other big thing for us, and we've, this has only been happening the last two years, is with our point of sale. At the top of our point of sale, which is in every salon, we can be putting information about what the um, national promotion is. Um, for instance, um, uh, have you received your poster for the car giveaway? And that can come up. That comes up on the front of the point of sale. If, for instance, there was some problem, uh, uh, we could communicate to our uh, uh, three thousand hairdressers uh, from the academy um, instantly. So uh, that's with our point of sale. Right. All that data is then going into a um, and is then collected and then is put out to our owners. So they're getting um, uh, quite excited about. Uh, comparing uh, average docket, uh, comparing uh, numbers of uh, new clients, uh, males. We mentioned males. Uh, they can compare what we call overs, the basic price, uh, and then how many overs. Um, and, and, of course, and the other thing, of course, is retail. Uh, what is their retail percentage? Yeah. And yeah. that is another uh, another stream of income. And uh, you, that, you mentioned before... You mentioned before Justice uh, for our, our audience. Justice is uh, your own product line, yeah? It is. And yep. look, over the years, we've, we've, we've sort of had relationships with different companies and, and very good relationships, uh, but we have been a little bit let down when they start um, uh, selling it in other locations. Um, and so... Uh, we decided uh, three years ago to um, to do our own, and um, we looked at formulas all around the world. And uh, we're very excited to say that's a very big part uh, of our uh, our business now. And some of our, our owners are really embracing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, as, as I said, our goal, uh, our turnover across. Uh, uh, Australia and the other salons is, uh, you know, over 120 million. And our goal for our retail is to be 20%. Yeah. So at the I, moment, I, I just need to go back to that for one bit because I know Americans, uh, when you say turnover, they don't oh, yeah. use it in the same term and not the same way we do. When they, when you say turnover to Americans, they think you're talking about their staff. And what you just quickly threw in there was that your total sales is 120 million a year. Yes. Is, that, is that correct? Okay, 120 yes. million Aussie uh, Australian dollars, which is uh, probably what, 100 million US? Yeah, uh, a little bit okay. less. A little bit less? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Maybe 90 million US a year, uh, 60 million pound. So it's a, it's a significant business. Yep. Yeah. Put it mildly. Yeah. Yep. Um, Tell us about, I, I know you are very actively involved in supporting uh, certain charities, one in particular. Um, just tell us a little bit about that. Um, yes. Um, we encourage our owners at the salon level to get involved in uh, local uh, sporting clubs and to do um, 
local area marketing, but also to support charities. But we also uh, have embraced a national charity. And in Australia, it was very difficult to actually find a national charity. But there is one, and it's called the Royal Flying Doctor. And I'm very proud to say that our association, we actually have uh, uh, raised over 500,000 uh, Aussie dollars in the time we've been involved with them. And a, and a simple way of raising that money has been at, at various events. And I get involved in a, uh, in a, uh, a car event where we go into the outback for a week and, uh, uh, and hoon around. And we also do things called Tatarama, uh, where we will uh, fly in, uh, you know, uh, 10 hairdressers from all over the place into a small country town and then go and do crazy haircuts. And uh, you can see it on some of the YouTube videos. But the other way is just to have a box in our salons where our clients put their small change. And I'm absolutely amazed at the amount of money that we can raise that uh, that way with just small change, and we collect that, uh, yeah. uh, you know, every every couple of months. So we're very happy to say we're involved in that. We're also involved in uh, Insane, which is a charity for um, um, uh, the mental health of, of young people, mm-hmm. and um, and we've experienced that with some of our uh, salons. So we're very that so that's very important to us as well. Good. And of course, if we find any book um, that would be uh, helpful, we will go and buy, you know, 250 books and we'll send the books out uh, to, to our salons. And it could be on, uh, you know, the latest on uh, how to bring up uh, teenagers or, or uh, uh, how to um, identify clients that might be um, disturbed or, oh. or have, a, have a problem. So we've also partnered uh, with, with a charity to produce a book on identifying that. And of course, we've had clients who have um, uh, thanked us for our stylist who have recognized um, um, marks on people's heads. And, and said to them, look, uh, I think you need to have that checked out. So um, in recent time, we've had two uh, of our st- stylists acknowledged in uh, local press as, as being as saving um, clients' lives by saying to them, you need to go and get that, uh, get that checked out that I've just observed on your head. Well, that's fantastic. I, I, I know that we are in a, a unique position to do that. So, um, yeah, kudos to them. Um, okay, I, I want to talk a little bit about the, the personal skills of uh, success. What, what is it that, that drives you? Well, um, <laughs> you'd be surprised. I mean, <laughs> my, my, my biggest challenge, my biggest challenge, and you'd be surprised if I say this, it's got nothing to do with, with business. Yeah. Um, it's and I've certainly had some interesting challenges, and my share of interesting challenges, just as as everybody has, uh, with 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 rogue with rogue franchise owners. Actually, yeah. I've had it with corruption in the workplace. Yeah, uh, I've had family challenges, and I've and the other one that that I've had is is leaving people behind, as as I've as I've grown and and as the business has grown, but the biggest challenge has been. Um, the actual painful time and experience I had in my school life. Um, as I said, I went to eight schools 
I couldn't read or write, and um, I had uh, dyslexia. Yeah. And 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 would I want my time over again? Probably not, because anything after that uh, experience has been very easy. Uh, I'm not daunted by any um, uh, any any problem. For instance, uh, we we did the biggest event on the planet. What was that? That was the Olympic Games. Yeah. And I've got to thank um, Vidal Sassoon for that because the Sassoon organization did the 1984 Summer Olympics and they did the athletes' hair and the uh, uh, officials, they did it the haircut for nothing. So when Australia bid for the 2000 Olympics, part of the bid was that they would set up um, salons and they would do the athletes for free. And they had a company, which was a big international hair product company, that was going to do it, but then couldn't do it because um, they then had to pay an additional $1 million to be able to use the rings, the, the, uh, the brand of the Olympic rings. And so they pulled out at the last moment, and we had an opportunity to do that. And we did the biggest event on the planet. We had three salons there. We employed 100 hairdressers. Um, we did the uh, Paralympics as well. So um, I'm very proud to say that um, we were able to do that. So uh, to answer your question, Anthony, nothing has ever been a problem for me because of that awful time I, I had at school. Yeah. Um, and, um, and the other thing I would say is certainly – um, for me, it is identifying who can be, who can help me. I must say, now we're, we're in a position where we can afford the best help, the best uh, expertise, and we've got some wonderful people around us that uh, are very good at that. And we've got some wonderful owners that uh, uh, who really love the brand, and it and it's a life, it's a lifetime uh, investment. In fact, it's a family investment. There, uh, uh, we see their children is getting involved. So um, it's worked out very well for me. The 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 hairdressing uh, sector. Yeah. Well, you you alluded to, you know, challenges you'd had in business. Um, what what what's the biggest lesson that you've learnt running and growing a business to the size that you've got? Okay. In recent times, it's certainly to do with the paperwork. Uh, today, um, um, we, we have to uh, disclose everything and we get people to sign off on that. And that's very important. My, my uh, style of doing business in the early days was a handshake. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and unfortunately, that's changed. And so I, my advice for anybody is to get good advice, um, get the paperwork correct. And this is to do with uh, recruiting stylists as well mm. uh, with contracts. But certainly in the uh, business and in the franchising uh, sector, we need to uh, make sure that's done. And that has let me down um, when I haven't done that. And uh, uh, people have come back and um, said, uh, that's not not what was said, for instance. So yeah, uh, yeah sure. That that's let me down. 
Okay. Uh, three and a half thousand odd staff. Um, I mean, you know, uh, m- m- most people can't imagine what it's like to have uh, three and a half thousand staff. I, I mean, I certainly can't. I mean, how do you attract them? How do you keep them? Uh, the question I'm going to ask you is, 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 is that really? How do you, you know, what is the secret to keeping, motivating people? Because okay. our business is a people business, and without people, you can't grow. You obviously, um, you know, have tapped into some some needs and identified needs and fulfill them to attract and keep good people. So, so what what, what is that that you do that motivates okay. people and attracts them? Well, I'd start with 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 the way we recruit. If you love just cutting and would like to work part time or full time, ring this number. Or, right. you know, so we're saying, if you love what you do, and aren't we lucky we're in a business that we, we employ people that actually love what they do. So um, we're saying, do you love cutting? Do you want to work? Um, what hours would you like to work? So we open a salon and we recruit, say, uh, it could be 15 or 20 hairdressers. And by the way, Anthony, they're, they're, they can be part-time hairdressers. They're not full-time Hairdressers, they're not working 40 or 30 hours. Okay. Okay, so that three and a half covers someone who might only work two days. Right. So um, we recruit the team and we say to them, we are going to roster to suit you. But first of all, we have to really roster to suit the business. Yeah. But after three months, um, we're going to try and give you exactly what you want to do. For instance, in Australia, uh, we now are opening on Sundays. Mm-hmm. Now, some stylists certainly don't want to work on Sundays, but some do. So mm-hmm. we're, we're happy to uh, accommodate them. The best way to do it is then, with, certainly with the rostering, is to empower those stylists to be in charge of the own, their own roster. So when they want time off or they're sick or something happens, they ring their fellow colleagues and say, can you cover for me? And not necessarily um, uh, ring the owner. As I said, the business is based around the the loyalty is with the brand, not necessarily with the stylist. So the stylist walks in and they're not sure what clients are going to have today on that day. So it's not like there's um, uh, the the stylist has appointments for the day. So mm-hmm. I think that that helps as well. Yeah. The other thing with recruitment is to say to them. Um, we will be starting, you know, at ten to nine, and we will be sh- finishing at five thirty, and we will be having a lunch break, mm. and you will be getting your, uh, you will be paid, you know, electronically, and you will be getting uh, all your entitlements, and we're very, uh, we're very strong on that, that there are there are there are certain um, legislation, awards, etc., and 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 our owners must do that, otherwise they can lose their franchise. Yeah. Um, if they are not doing the right thing. Mm. Um, so it's to do with the environment they're working in, a nice, bright environment, usually in shopping centres. They haven't got the pressure of the style of that particular client coming in that they might know who comes in every Saturday or that client that's had a bad colour job. And so I, I think there's less pressure. So we don't, actually don't have a real challenge with recruitment. The other thing we're not saying, uh, the other thing is we, we supply the clients. 
when the client comes into the salon, it's up to the stylist to get the client to return by doing uh, what the client wants. Mm. But outside of the salon, it's up to the owner and it's us, up to us to promote the business, to bring the client in. So there's no uh, pressure on the stylist uh, to bring a clientele. In fact, if a stylist was to say, oh, Dennis, um, you, 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 I'm really good because I've got all these clients I can bring to the salon. Well, I say, well, sorry, um, we're not really interested in that um, because they're not your clients. Mm. They're just cuts clients. So that's, that's a slight difference yeah. uh, in, in so a way my full chemical salon worked. Yeah. So, so as, a, as a client, I can't walk into the salon and say, oh, I want Dennis to cut my hair. He did it last time. It doesn't work like that. There's no appointment. No, no there's not. We don't encourage it, and mm. I think it does sneak in. Yeah. For instance, if that was to happen, mm. um, then you might have to wait uh, because there's another four or five clients in the, in the queue. Mm -hmm. In the queue, uh, so that client might have to wait. But we certainly uh, don't encourage that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, as I say, um, it's first in uh, best dressed, or yeah. you're on the queue. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, Absolutely. Uh, Dennis, I could listen to you uh, all day. You've got very interesting stories, an interesting take on the industry. Uh, but we need to wrap up now. But I look, I just wanted to say to you, Dennis, uh, thank you very much for taking this time to uh, be on the Grow My Salon Business uh, podcast. You're a uh, an absolute wealth of information and uh, anyone who can build a business turning over a hundred and twenty million plus dollars a year and uh, you know three and a half thousand odd staff two hundred and thirty one salons is uh, is worth listening to and I've certainly enjoyed uh, listening to you again every time I do listen to you I pick up some new stuff which I didn't know before so Dennis McFadden thank you very much for being part of the Grow My Salon Business podcast thanks Anthony cheerio Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us at growmysalonbusiness.com or on Facebook and Instagram at growmysalonbusiness. And if you enjoyed tuning into our podcast, make sure that you subscribe, like, and share it with your friends. Until next time, this is Anthony Whitaker wishing you continued success.